If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, I'm pretty excited that we get to jump back into John this morning. I heard that Nathan did great when I was here. I know I saw him online, and he didn't look like Nathan. He was wearing like a collared shirt. Thankfully, this morning, he's back to his normal teacher. <laughs> really great. Thankful. Thankful for him. And I wasn't joking. I came back, and I looked out and drove to my house and looked and saw the mountains on one side, the Canadian Rockies up north, and Mount Baker and the bay, and I just thought, we live in the most beautiful place there is. If this is the last day I get to live, I'd die pretty happy. It's beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. And I thought, you know, I think that way a little bit more now. Heart attacks will do that to you. And, and so I think that way every time I get up here. I think this might be the last message I get to give to you. Well, Jesus could come back tomorrow or this afternoon. Okay, that needs a yahoo. But, 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 but even so, even so, even or, or who knows what happens, right? So every time I think, well, I come up and, and, and even though I, I wouldn't mind giving you good tips on parenting, that's not what we do here. Even though I, I wouldn't mind saying, hey, this is how you keep your moral purity, important. Not what we do. Why? Because, for one thing, it's too late for you. You're not the parent you should be. You're not as pure as you should be. If I just look at you. <laughs> and the second thing is, it's not the message. It's not the message. The message you need to hear, whether you're young or old today, is the actual message of the Scripture. That's why I said I'm really glad we're in John, because John is laying it out for us. And especially as we go in today, we start in today on the last sort of long message Jesus gives right before he goes to the cross. He's talking to his guys, his disciples. I don't know if you saw, have you seen the beginning of the second season of The Chosen? <laughs> And I was told about it. I haven't seen it. But it's John kind of putting together the, the material to write his, his, uh, his gospel. The gospel we're in. <laughs> I like it. So that's where we are. We're in John chapter 14. And in the world we live in, you and I, Christianity, this message, I think it's gotten clouded. It's gotten clouded in the church. Most people here, I believe, if you ask someone on the street, nine times out of ten, when I go to, the, to, to, to a class of kids and they don't know Christianity, and you say, well, what do you know of Christianity? Again, nine times out of ten, I feel like the answer you get is not the message. Most people, I think the wrong message is sort of enablement to the law. That's what Christianity is, right? This, the best picture of God is the law. Christians are empowered to the law as the law revealed God's character eternally. Our goal is to be in conformity with him by keeping the law. That's why I'm calling this and I'm framing it for you. Christ is not the law. I don't agree with that. By the way, this is very famous, and I put it on the other. I didn't want to mess you up in Latin. It's Christus non lex. It's a very famous quote by Martin Luther. He used it several times. Christus non lex, he says. They're very important to him. And for us, I'm like, what? Why, why does that even matter? Let me flesh it out before we dive into the text. Here's why it matters. Because I grew up in a Christian home. Man, what a blessing it was. 
I was taught how to be a good kid, the expectations of my family. I was given discipline to learn things. I was spanked if I disobeyed my parents. The conditionality of responses were based on my behavior. You know, if I gave my dad some snide remark, there are consequences. You didn't do that to my dad. My, my understanding was shaped about how my parents and my community and my church and my friends and they, they all thought about the rules of God. And so supernatural, not supernatural, supernatural, very natural for me to see. Christianity is an extension of that. Right? This, this idea that, that be a good kid. My dad used to do that. Even when I was in college, he'd call me up and he'd, just, he'd always end with, hey, Dax, be good. I love that. I try to be good. So I, I kind of resonated. Kind of resonated. I don't know if you've seen this. So with some TikTok videos I saw recently, but a guy named Abraham Piper having his moment of fame, right? He, but I, I mentioned him because he's had millions of views. Millions. And the reason why he's famous, Abraham Piper, is because he's the son of somebody you might know named John Piper. Written 50 books. He also has had millions of views. And Abraham Piper goes and he makes these videos kind of poking at the, the evangelicalism he was brought up in. Things like reading your Bible. He says, yeah, I remember reading my Bible. And he goes off onto a rant about Jezebel and her being defenestrated and eaten by dogs. Great for six-year-olds to read. It's like, what's the deal? And, 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 and these ideas where he's pushing back, you know, and has walked away from his Christian faith. And that's not a knock on his dad. But it is a knock that I feel like as you listen to his videos, he doesn't get the message. He thinks what Christianity is was these rules that he was supposed to follow to be good. Dude, if you're here, it's not the message. Right? It illustrates the problem. Cultural evangelicalism, the world, it doesn't push the right message. It pushes all sorts of other helpful messages. It's helpful to be a relatively good person. It's helpful to be a conformer to societal standards. It's helpful to see the necessity of helping other people. Being disciplined. Standing for purity. Upholding justice as best as you can. But... That still leaves you totally without the actual message, right? The actual message, someone like Abraham Piper is thrown out, evangelical Christianity thrown out because he hasn't received the message. He's received the law, right? Christians should do good things, good works, what matters is what you do. You need to love each other. You need to obey God's moral commands. You need to improve in these things. Is it true? Yeah, it's true. The law is beautiful and good and right and true. It's just not the message. It belongs somewhere. Why do I say that? Because the outcome isn't there. It's demonstrably false in your life. Right? We ought to be loving, but you don't love like Jesus loved. You ought to be sensitive to others who aren't like you, but, but, but you love your own better than those people out there you don't really know very well. 
We ought to be the, the, the very best people ever because we have Jesus, but we continue to sin. We think we can teach the truth of the law, and we can have it work, and we're wrong. And we think we can reason with people to hold on to upright behavior because that's what God requires. And he does require it, but it doesn't happen. It's not the message. The message is not, as some people teach, that good works are necessary for salvation. The message is not, as you may have grown up with, that following the law as best as possible is how you avoid discipline by God. Christ is not the law. And that matters hugely. I was going to say bigly. I guess I just did. Here's the message. Here's the message. Jesus Christ loves you, sinner. Trust him. And you see, as I say that, I'm not minimizing the, or condoning evil. I'm calling you a sinner. Someone who's evil. And, and, and by placing our hope in a Savior, because that's what matters. So you look with open eyes today at the words of Jesus, and you think with me of what he's saying in the last few hours before he goes and sheds his blood on a cross. And it's remarkable to understand his disciples, they're all going to abandon him. Everyone. They're going to run. These words are really important. It's all Jesus. He matters. And, and as you think of what he's doing in this context, I think it's appropriate for you to realize the law is not the answer. Jesus is. Let's, let's, let's look. We have these three pieces we get to look at. It's really fun. The first is your hope of heaven. You're actually getting to heaven. How's it going to happen? Goes there right away. So chapter 14, verse 1. Here we go. Jesus says, very, very common, famous passage, you probably know it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus starts off and he's flowing. You've got to know as you start into chapter 14. We're talking and Jesus is talking. He's already been talking. It's not out of context like all of a sudden Jesus stood up and cried out, let not your hearts be troubled. No, he's talking. What is he talking about? Well, how did chapter 13 end? And if you go back and look how chapter 13 ended, was it ended with Jesus telling Peter, you're abandoning me. You're going to deny me three times. And then he says, don't worry about it. Right? That's what let not your heart be troubled. Because he just said, you're going to deny me. And he says, but don't worry. Well, why wouldn't he worry? He's going to totally abandon you, Jesus. Yeah, that's what Jesus is saying, right? I know you're failing, but I've got you. That's what this says, right? That's the meaning of this verse. And, and, and you're, you're going to fail. I hate failure. And I carry guilt and, and worry because I fail. I, I fail as a father. I don't love my kids enough. I, I don't watch over them enough. I, I fail as a husband. I don't care for my wife as she deserves. I get selfish. If I'm honest and if I have eyes, I see failure and failure and failure and failure. And Jesus says, wait, don't worry. Not, don't worry, be happy. Like you're just going to sing a song. It's all going to no. Don't worry what? Trust me. Believe in God, believe also in me. 
I know you're abandoning me. I know you're failing. But I've got you. This is literally what he's saying. <laughs> look, look, he goes on. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Isn't that great? This is a promise, a massive from the sky promise towards a bunch of people who are going to sin and fail. Trust Jesus. That kind of implies don't trust yourself because he's just come off of that. Don't trust your faithfulness, your obedience, your law-keeping. Instead, Jesus actually is going to go to heaven and prepare a place for the ones he loves. Does he love you? <laughs> that's the question, right? Because that's what matters. Well, he loves me because I keep the law. No, he's talking to people who are failing with the law. Well, okay, Dax, but a few more specifics might be nice. I mean, I mean, Jesus flat out says it right, right here. He's going to prepare a place. He's going to come and take us. We are going to be where he is. Be, in spite of whatever the law says about you, about how well you've done, you say, well, that's great, but, but, uh, but we need to know the way here. <laughs> I'm a little confused because in my way of growing up and my way of thinking and the culture they were in too, the way that you show love is that you keep the law and they're going to fail in the law. So what's the way that we get to heaven? Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. <laughs> they're like, what? No, no, we don't know that. That's why Thomas says, and I love that it's Thomas. That's doubting Thomas, right? That's the one who wants to put his hands in his scars later. Here's Thomas. He's a thinker. I like Thomas. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And so Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There it is. This is relentless, right? Jesus is relentless. How can we know the way? The idea, right? It's the paradigm. It's, I, I think, well, things to obtain, the road to walk on, the path to take, the umbrella to stay under, the door to get in. What behaviors, what rules, what actions do we need to take? And Jesus is like, I'm the way, the truth, the life. If you're going to be with the Father, you're going through me. I'm doing it all. Boy, paradigm busted, man. Because there's no behavior of mine that is judged. There's only Jesus. See, what I normally routinely hold up are sort of the evalu variations, evaluations, pieces of how I'm doing with behaviors, with, dare I say, the law. We don't call it that. And they'll say, oh, are you keeping the Ten Commandments? Or, oh, are you keeping the 600 commandments of the Bible? I don't say that. 
but we take smaller aspects of them. Our world does, you know. We focus in on little pieces of them, and we, we use those for judging because, because it's too hard to do them all. So you take these little pieces, and depending upon what season you're in, I mean, right now we're in this, are you really woke? Do you really love justice? You know, that's a really good thing. You should be woke in the best sense of the word. You should be for justice. You should stand against racism, treating people differently by the color of their skin. That's wrong. So, okay, there's, there's that piece. So we focus it. We forget everything else, you know, everything else. We're just focusing on that one. Let's focus in and let's, and then you say, well, okay, how are we doing? It's going to be dependent on how we're doing it here. And then three years from now, it'll be something totally different. And we'll have forgotten. Because that's how things, things go. We have, we're nearsighted, but we know that the things ought to be, so we focus in on them. Everybody should be looking just here. Forget about all those other things. Are you hospitable? Do you really care for strangers? Are you kind? Are you really taking care of your family? Are you pure? Boy, that's one our society's decided to just forget on right now. I listened to a song. It's a popular song. That's top ten. And I was like, I had to I had to I had to go find the clean version. It's terrible. Are you avoiding immorality? Are you diligent? Man, there's so many people now, so I'm gonna work from home and they just I don't even know if they're working, right? I'm not I'm not dissing people working from home. A lot of work happens at home. But I, I can find all sorts of other things to do at home, too. Am I really avoiding sloth? And depending on the year, the season, the stage of our lives, we focus on one aspect. We think that's the attainable thing. We ignore. And we, have, we, we really have no hope in this stuff. You realize that, right? It's all the world just focusing on this area and then focusing on that area and using the law, which is good, to judge you. Why is that a problem? Because nobody's pure. As soon as somebody's judging somebody else, they're the ones at fault as well. That's the Bible. So it's not that the law is bad, it's really good, but you're bad. You're bad. It's like your dirty truck, right, with one little window, and you've got this little window and you make a little clean spot. The rest of the truck is dirty. No, oh, I love that sort of too. No, you're cleaning this one. That one's getting dirty again. I've done whack-a-mole a lot with that, right? You can't. You can't hold all the molds down. And the Bible says if you've got one mole, you're, you're guilty of all the moles. The one taking care of his family is mean to those outside. The one talking purity is immoral with his money. The one avoiding murder is angry with his spouse. The moral purity you have, you have no contentment. You have theological precision, lack of love. It's all whack-a-mole. So, so, so it can't be the message. The message can't be, would you please contain all that? Would you please put your hand, would you please get that all under control? Because you can't and you don't. And it's too late. Because you haven't. So it's not the message. 
kids, if this is what you think Christianity is, obey your parents and be good, it is not the message. You need to do that. You're going to fail. That's starting to get you to the message because the purpose of those rules is to drive you to your knees so you're ready for the Savior. That's the message. Right? Because Jesus Christ said right here to failures and to those about to fail, they're going to abandon him. And he says, trust me. Don't let your heart be troubled by all the ways you fail. Trust me, I've got you. Trust he's preparing a place. Trust that he's coming again. Trust that he will take you to him. Trust that your life is totally dependent on his love for you. Full stop. That's only a couple of verses. There's more. There's more. Look, it's not just, it's not just heaven. It's, it's deep, unknowable knowledge. <laughs> Look at this. This is great. Verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. This is Jesus still talking. If you would have known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So Jesus isn't just making some random claim for himself. He fits himself into the only story there is, which is the father's plan. If you would have known Jesus, you would have known the father. The father, that's God almighty. The unknowable God, the invisible God, the deep, powerful, strong, amazing G-O-D. Right? So Philip, Philip, it's like these are their moments of fame, these guys. Philip jumps in. He says, hey, hey, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. I, I want to see that, Father. That'll be enough. Of course, he's looking at Jesus. So Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Okay, it's kind of a long answer Jesus gives. Don't get lost in all the words flying. As Jesus says, he's essentially this. Jesus says, because Philip's saying, Jesus, you look like a person. Like, you know, you got hair, maybe a beard. I want to see God the Father. You know, the glowing, amazing power where Moses came down from the mountain and his face glowed just because he'd seen the back of God. I want to see that. And Jesus says, you don't understand. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he says. The perfect representation of the Father is Jesus. That's the amazing thing, right? Everything Jesus has done, everything Jesus has spoken, reflects the Father. So what do they know of the Father then? What Jesus has done? I mean, what they knew otherwise. Take a minute, take Jesus away. What did they know of the Father? They knew the Scriptures. The Old Testament Scriptures, right? 
Think about, not don't put Jesus aside for a minute, and just think about what you know of God. If you're just reading through the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus is there. Don't get me wrong. They, it points to him. It's amazing. Jesus has to open their eyes to it. They aren't really seeing it, but it's there. But what they thought they knew of God, what they twisted to think they knew of God, was the law. Right? Moses, the man of God who went up to the mountain and met with God and came back with tablets of stone written with the finger of God. God who rescued people but then rejected them and tossed them out because they did not obey. God who was disappointed in the sins of his people. He, he did. He took his glory away. That's the representation of God. The judge with the law. The one who looks at the heart and decides how deserving you are. That's my understanding. And Jesus smashes it. What? What do you mean? Right? He says, no, if you see me, you see the Father. Me. So think about Jesus. He looks like nothing. He looks unworthy. He goes and helps people who are totally outside the law. He's letting prostitutes wipe his feet. He's hanging out with tax collectors. He's healing people. You go, wait a minute, go help the person who's worthy. He's outside the camp, touching lepers. He's taking people totally blind and just healing them. Well, what did, did they pray a lot? No, they didn't pray at all. They're just sitting there. And Jesus catches their eye. An eye that doesn't see Jesus, Jesus just sees them. Because they're blind. Right? He works on the Sabbath. He's rejected by the law keepers. He's tossed away by the religious. And, and, and Jesus' statement, and it's a shocking statement. It doesn't shock us because we think, oh, Jesus, yeah, yeah, he's the Savior. But, but, but we ought to be like, catch just a, a hint of the sacrilege this would be. Seeing perfectly the mighty, holy God of the universe. You're looking at Jesus. That guy. He didn't glow. It's amazing. He says, trust me, I have the power. I use it for you. Believe what I'm saying or believe the works. Because God incarnate, the perfect picture of the Father, is going to be dragged to the cross and killed. And he hung up there because he loves you. And he promises you that he'll come back for you. And that's the Father saying that too. Not caring about how it looks, whether he appears to be winning, or whether people are giving him glory, or he's doing his work, and it's incredible. He did it for you. That's what this, that's why this matters. Not the law's picture of God, twisted by us, not by the law, twisted by us to make it doable for us, but Jesus Christ is not the law. He's the picture of the Father for you and for me. And say, well, that, that's remarkable. I, I suppose it means I do nothing. That's kind of what I expect people say from a message like this. This is great, Dax. Jesus did it all. Yeah, amen. 
Jesus does it all for me. Amen. We come here and we worship because he's done it all. He paid for me on the cross. So therefore, I'm going to sit back and do zero. Because my life doesn't matter. Okay, we're not quite done yet. That's why I'm bringing it up like this. Right? Because it does matter. Because Jesus, not that he somehow enables you to do the law. No, no, no. Jesus is not the law. The law is done for you, except to continue to show you that you need Jesus. You never get away from needing Jesus. It condemns you. It restrains us. This body of flesh we struggle in. But Jesus, trust him. Jesus says, Jesus says, I've got you. And he doesn't just have you for heaven. He has you here by his promise. He says to you, I'm going to use you. Look, 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 look. There's this last piece, true usefulness. True usefulness. Just this little piece at the end. Look. Truly, truly, that's what Jesus says when he's focusing in. Truly, truly, verily, verily, right? I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Why do you see that? It's not only Jesus who prepares and comes and takes you back. He promises that he will. Trust me, he says. It's not only Jesus who shows you the Father exactly, but Jesus says, you will do great works because, what is that? And my imagination goes wild. And because I come out of the paradigm that I grow up in normally, great works to me are works of the law. Are these, is that what he means? If so, prove it to me. You know why I'm saying that? Because they're not. You don't know what the works are. You have no idea. They're great. They're, they're the works Jesus is doing. But we don't really understand why Jesus was doing the ones he was doing. Why did he help this person and not that one? Why did he go here on the Sabbath and do this? Why, 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 why? And the answer is silence, 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 silence. Here's what we know. He promises he will. Great works are because Jesus goes back to the Father. It's not this enabling power which lets you now accomplish morally what you didn't before, but he promises he's going to use you. He, he doesn't say what the works are. They're great because he says they are. The cup of cold water may be the greatest work you'll ever do, and it takes you two seconds, and the rest of your life isn't. Is that Okay. It's okay if Jesus says it's okay. He's the one, right, that decides. I don't know. The smile in the right place. The usefulness by the Spirit to touch someone that wasn't getting touched before. You will be, and you may not even know, except I know, by trust. Right? Right? Because this is what the line is. You will do greater works than these. He's talking to the disciples, but I think through the disciples to us. And it's this idea that he will use us, even though you may not evaluate or treasure the works that he's doing. In fact, because Martin Luther said this too, your, your, your good works, the things we call good, oftentimes are laden with sin. 
And the works we don't even realize are the works God's really doing and working through us, right? And we've got to do it by trust, knowing that we trust Jesus, and he's actually using us. And that preps us for this last line. Here it is. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I've been waiting to whistle all the time from the pulpit. <laughs> That's worth a whistle, right? I mean, wow, he says, I'm going to do it. And then he says, well, if you ask anything in my name, and I'm, I'm busting out the list, man. I want this and this and this and this in the name of Jesus. <laughs> That's how we use it, right, basically. What's the problem with that? I know that doesn't work. How do I know? I, for 10 years, asked for a child, didn't get one. I asked in the name of Jesus every time. I asked every which, I had thousands of other people asking for me. I didn't get it. So is that just a bad promise? No, you're fitting it into what he's saying, right? What is Jesus actually saying to you? If you come from the position that you got nothing and you have no, you're the people abandoning Jesus. Here's Jesus and he goes to his guys and he says, I've got you. Trust me. I'm preparing a place for you. Trust me. You don't deserve it. It's my love for you and you're going to do it. And then he says, and you know what? Just looking at me, you know, the father of the universe, you've got it all. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to use you to do great works. You don't even know what they are. And then he says, if you ask in my name, I'll do it, anything. It means there's no limit to the power of God that can be used on your behalf. But you don't know what they are. What is in Christ? What is in his name? It's not you tacking on a little phrase to your prayers. It's not you figuring out what Jesus is going to do and then asking that because you know do that. That would be fine. But you can't figure it out. You don't know what he has for you. That's the whole thing. So his, his statement here is not, if you would only figure out what I'm really doing, then if you pray, I'll do those things. It's, you do realize you're powerless. But I've got all the power you'll ever need to accomplish the works I have for you to do. If you ask anything that's in my name, that's what I'm doing in you, it will happen. Because he's got the power to make anything happen. And he loves you. So it's not some name it and claim it idea. It's this idea we really don't know what's going to happen, but we don't have to worry about our ability. We don't have the ability. It's, it's not this idea I'll do anything if you're acting correctly in regards to the rules and regulations. If you just clean yourself up so you're in him, that, no, I'm not in him by cleaning up. I'm trusting that he has me and that trust continues to go through. Really what it comes down to is this, which is why I did this this morning. Do you trust the law or do you trust Jesus? And before you just flippantly answer that, think about it in your life. Do you trust the law or do you trust Jesus? Because Jesus took the law and he nailed it to the cross. But we go back and pluck it down. And we say, you know what? If I just do this right, then God will honor me. And Jesus says, trust me, I have you. And in the midst of your failure and your wrongness, I will use you. I've got all the power to accomplish exactly what I'm going to accomplish in your life. 
you will not go unused. There's no such thing as being unused. Because Jesus says, I will use you. And you know what? At the end of the day, you can't trust the law. And not because it says some sort of wrong thing, but because you cannot be trusted. Doesn't matter if you keep the Ten Commandments. What? That's heresy, Dax. How can you say that? No, I say that not because the Ten Commandments are evil, but because you don't keep them. If you're going to have any hope, it's because of what Jesus does for you. So will you hear this? Christ is not the law. And that is the best news you've ever heard. So when you and I are tempted to see others and judge others and try and evaluate how they're doing in Christ, stop, come back to this. The law condemns you. And trust in Jesus. He forgives. He absolves. He promises. He loves. He prepares. He's coming back for you and me. He really is the picture of the Father. He is ours forever and ever. Amen. I want to end and close with this verse. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And and I think Paul's object for believes is Jesus, who believes in Jesus. Why? Because the law reveals your lack and Jesus reveals that he's done it all. Forgiveness is ours forever and he's coming back to us. Rest in him.